Hello and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Lily. Lily, welcome back to the pod. Thank you. It's been a while. Yeah, I missed it. Ah, yes. How's life since the last time you were on? It's been like a month and a half, I think. Yeah, life's been busy. Got to go home visit my family. Got to read for fun when classes weren't in session. Yeah. So. What have you been reading for fun? Um, mostly like mystery books. I really like this one author, Lucy Foley, I think. Is her I haven't one. heard of her. They're just like fun little mystery with like multiple perspectives and stuff. I like that. I love multiple perspectives. I love a good multiple POVs. Yep. <laughs> That's fun. I always think that I should get into mysteries more because I think I'd really like them. Yeah. Oh, I also binged Lockwood & Co. That's right. You were um, telling us about that. Yeah, like in two days. And it's so good. <laughs> I really recommend it to every single person. The way you described it made it sound really fun. Yeah, it's really good. On Netflix, highly recommend. I should definitely check it out. All right, today we're going to be covering chapters 10, 11, and 12 of The Prophecy of Bane, in which the quest begins, we meet the fireflies, and Gregor fights a giant squid. Where we left off, Gregor just learned from Nerissa that, according to the prophecy, he has to kill the Bane all on his own. So with that, let's dive into part two, The Hunt. Chapter 10 starts with this quote here. Maybe you didn't actually have to have sleep. Maybe it was something people got used to having and thought they needed, but could really get by without. Gregor hopes so, because despite his complete state of exhaustion, he'd just spent the night without a wink of it. I think about this quote all the time. So relatable. Yeah, it really is. And I I would think about it all the time when I was pulling all-nighters in college and stuff, I would just think about Gregor and be like, maybe you don't really have to have sleep. Maybe that's just something that they tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Man, I wish. Yeah. Gregor keeps thinking about how he has to kill the Bane and how Vicus didn't tell him about it. The narration says, he had a way of sidestepping issues he thought Gregor couldn't handle. Gregor pictured himself gaping in terror at the salivating white giant while Vicus tapped him on the shoulder and said in an upbeat voice, Oh yes, and by the way, according to Sandwich, you have to kill him single-handedly. Off you go then. <laughs> I love this little made-up Vicus in Gregor's head so much, because it's really in character for Vicus to just hold off on telling him all the important details. Yeah, and I think like he probably would have waited till the very end, right? if not for Nerissa. So Gregor is sitting in a council meeting to discuss the quest, and all the council can agree on is that it needs to start immediately. Regalian spies think the Bane is in the labyrinth, which Ares explains is a maze. Because of King Gorger's death, the humans currently control more of the Underland than they had previously, but all routes to the labyrinth that use tunnels are too dangerous, especially since it's in such a remote corner of the rat's land. So because everything else is too dangerous, that leaves the waterway. Howard points out that the serpent's mating season is soon, and Gregor wonders why Luke's cousin is here at all. But Howard is right, like, we do interact with the serpents later. Yeah, I feel like you shouldn't ignore that, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, like, Howard's speaking the truth here. Gregor, don't dismiss him. Vicus tells Gregor that the council thinks Boots should stay in regalia while he goes on the quest, 
but Gregor's mom always tells them to stay together. So he just says, she's coming with me or I don't go. End of discussion. I love that he is again using his political pull as the warrior to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. So cute. I think, honestly, this is really silly of him. Like, objectively. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a child. He knows nothing about fighting. But but I think the fact that, like, his mom has told him that they have to stick together is really cute. And, like, I understand why. Like, it would be so scary to leave her behind. I do like how he's always thinking about his parents' advice when he's mm-hmm. on his adventures. But probably if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't want to bring Boots along just because, like, it's dangerous for her and I wouldn't want to have to look after her. Like, having her around is dangerous for Gregor as well because totally. he has to be looking out for her. But she's, like, comforting, I think, too. Yeah. Which we see later a little bit. Yeah. And, like, what even is an Underland Chronicles book without Boots in it? Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> she's essential to the plot. Mm-hmm. Gregor goes to the museum to gather supplies. He grabs four flashlights, batteries, duct tape, two candy bars, and a couple of very convenient life jackets. Gregor also sees his overland clothes by the door and stops to pull on his boots from Mrs. Cormacy. Gregor assumes they'll be flying over the waterway, but when he gets down to the docks, he sees the underlanders loading up two boats. They're long, narrow vessels, each with a huge triangular fish fin attached to the bottom, and more fins along the sides that can be extended and retracted. Are there, like, illustrations, like, fan art of these boats? Like, they're so fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure there must be. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but yeah, just the description of them is really fascinating. I feel like I never fully pictured them correctly as a kid. Like, I was just picturing standard rowboats. Yeah, same. those were the kind of boats I'd been in as a kid. Mm-hmm. And even now, I have to remember, like, they're described as being 20 feet long. And they say later, like, they're as tall as his shoulders. Yeah, they're, like, deep. Yeah. Yeah, there's not really, like, a deck. Here, we'll get to the, yeah. the, <laughs> the boat description in a second. Vicus explains that they'll be taking the bats, but since the waterway is so big, they can't fly across the whole thing, which is why they have to go by boat. Twitchtip appears, and Gregor thinks about how he doesn't want to ride in the same boat as her because he thinks she's crazy, which is very rude of him. (laughs) Yeah, this makes me so sad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, she was acting weird the other day, but come on, Gregor. (laughs) First impressions aren't everything. Yeah. Dulcet and Gregor get Boots into a life jacket, even though it's too big for her, and Gregor offers the second jacket to Temp. It says Temp only wears it because Boots is also wearing one, and because Gregor manages to explain that it'll help him float. I really think this is so cute. First, that Gregor is like, well, I don't really need this, I can swim. Hey, Temp, do you need this? And Temp is like, only because Boots is wearing one. Yeah, she's just so cool. Fashion icon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luxa, Solovet, Merith, and Howard appear, but the ladies are wearing gowns, not pants, like they wore on the last quest. Luxa explains that she's not allowed to come on this quest. She was only on the Prophecy of Grey trip because the Prophecy said she needed to be. Gregor thinks Luxa should have put up a bigger fight about going this time, and he's a little mad that she doesn't seem eager to join them. But hold that thought, Gregor. (laughs) She's a good actor. (laughs) 
The whole quest group is going to be Gregor, Ares, Boots, Temp, Twitch Tip, Merith, His Bat Andromeda, Howard, and His Bat Pandora. Gregor likes Merith, but doesn't want Howard to come along, but Solovet explains that he's a good fighter and well-versed in water travel. Gregor asks about Ripred because, quote, nobody made him feel safer than Ripred when he wasn't wondering if the big rat would kill him. <laughs> but Vicus explains he already left to go back to the Deadland. I love that line. It's like, yeah, if Ripred's on your side, that's the safest you can be. Except when he's not on your side. Yeah. And you so can never true. really be sure. I feel like he'd be so proud to hear that, like, description of him. Yeah, he <laughs> has worked very hard to cultivate that image of himself. Totally. Everyone gets on their bats except Twitch Tip, who lies down in a boat, and the bats lift the boats out over the river. When they get to the wide open expanse of the waterway, they set the boats down and settle in. Merith introduces Andromeda, who is gold and black speckled, which I always thought was pretty cool. She sounds so pretty. I know, right? Gregor has technically met Andromeda before because on his first night in the Underland when he tried to escape and got attacked by rats, she and Merith came to the rescue and she got hurt. Gregor is worried she still blames him for that, but when she tells him she's honored to meet him, he realizes she's forgiven him like Merith has. Merith also introduces Pandora, who is rust red, but all she says to him is greetings. Vicus flew with them this far, and before he turns back to Regalia, he drops a copy of the prophecy from Nerissa in Gregor's boat. We get a little description of the boat here. It's 20 feet long, and its sides come up to Gregor's shoulders, but there's only a two-foot-wide strip of floor down the middle. There's a wooden mast, which is the only wooden thing Gregor has seen in the Underland, aside from Sandwich's prophecy room door. There are a few seats made out of leather and a lot of supplies, like food. This boat doesn't have like a deck, really. It's very narrow, but very long, and it's got these fish fins. It's pretty strange. It's also so hard for me to picture like the inside of it and actually the whole thing mm -hmm. like I'm having a hard time understanding like physically how the seats are there yeah me too and like how the fish fins are attached like to the leather like yeah I don't know and also like the leather must be formed somehow and mm -hmm. made like taut I guess the bone frame it's just a little confusing yeah yeah I keep imagining it with wood and I have to be like no there's no wood on this yeah. boat except for the mast well two foot wide strip of floor yeah so like what is the floor made out of is it more bone yeah I keep picturing like wooden planks and I'm like no there's no wood like <laughs> what that makes it okay I feel like she could have done a little bit better on this <laughs> to be honest <laughs> yeah if you have any good boat fan art please send it our way <laughs> we're confused <laughs> we need a visual <laughs> gregor asks if they're going to eat all of the food by themselves and merith says no but the shiners will gregor asks what the shiners are and merith says vicus did not tell you the narration says gregor wondered how many times he was going to hear that in the next few days which is so funny it is so funny People are always saying, did Vicus not tell you? 
They really shouldn't be shocked. Like, I'm sure he does this to everyone in his life. I know, right? Like, they know him very well by now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Merith explains that on long journeys where they can't carry enough fuel for light, they hire shiners to help, and theirs should be arriving soon. Gregor looks out and spots two flickering lights, and soon a pair of three-foot-tall fireflies are landing on the boats. One of the bugs introduces himself as Photos Glow Glow and his companion as Zap. Freaking love Photos Glow Glow. Oh my god, I love the fireflies <laughs> so much. They're I know. terrible. They're so annoying. I love them so much. <laughs> Me too. The fireflies immediately begin to bicker about who gets to make the introductions, and the chapter ends with Gregor thinking this is going to be the longest trip of his life. Can we talk about, though, like, we both know that as a male, I'm more visually pleasing to humans, Photos Glow said, his rear end blinking in a variety of colors. Zap can only make one color, and it is yellow. <laughs> I hate you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the best introduction to them ever. It's so good. What a pair. I really want to know, like, more about the the lore here, because, like... Maybe it's later, but someone says, like, oh, these are actually, like, pretty good. I, you're probably going to Yeah, about yeah, that. no. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. But, like, why? What's, what's the deal? I know. I need to know, like, if we are looking at photos glow glow and sap and thinking they're so terrible, like, what could other fireflies even be like? And why are, are they just, like, that with every single other firefly like yeah is this just a whole species of like chronically annoying bugs yeah and are they happy like is this normal (laughs) for them if it's normal like maybe they're fine with it yeah maybe this is just like how they relate to each other yeah (laughs) yeah I was wondering, like, what is even the relationship between Photos Glow Glow and Zap? Because they obviously yes. knew each other before getting hired for this job. But, like, are they just co-workers? Yeah. <laughs> are they are they family? Are they... And also, these are, like, human-based names. Yeah. Like, Photos Glow Glow? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... I don't know. I love it because, I mean, photos is light, means yes, light. And yes. then, but glow glow is just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the funniest thing as a kid too. Like, it's just like photos glow glow swoops in and is like, I am he called photos glow glow. <laughs> and she is Zap. <laughs> yeah, she just has like such a short name compared to him. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, maybe it actually makes sense as like a species that like, interacts with humans like on a limited basis that they'd be like i've heard the word zap yeah i've heard glow glow (laughs) right well i think that all of the i feel like we were talking about this on the last book too just the fact that the animals only speak english because the humans speak english but they all have their own animal languages Mm -hmm. so like are the spoken names that they use like Aries like that's mm. that's not in the bat language mm-hmm. so like does he have a whole different bat name that is just like imperceptible to human ears and it follows like Ripred probably has a rat name that's just a squeak but like he either chose the name Ripred to interact with humans or like he was also given a human name or a name that humans could pronounce 
I thought the Shiner's names would just be like flashes of light. Or yes. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense, though, that they would have to give themselves names that the humans could pronounce, especially if the fireflies are getting like hired for jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also weird that like. Suzanne Collins made the difference between like male and female shiners because like that's not real. Yeah, yeah. And I was why make the difference? Yeah, I was gonna say like that's so weird because fireflies can't make more than one color. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, it's Una from the future. Apparently, fireflies can change color or emit different levels of light. But it seems, just from cursory googling, that it'll mostly just be like green, yellow, or orange, or on like a white-yellow spectrum. They aren't able to flash like blue and purple and stuff like that. And it seems that female fireflies are actually more likely to be able to vary the color of their bioluminescence. Anyway, back to Una and Lily from the past. Nature's but... disco ball. Yeah! <laughs> That's what Photos Glow Glow is. No wonder he's so full of himself. I would be too if I could make that many colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe she just wanted to add some extra flair to her magic firefly species for the Underland. Give some, like, background for their tension. Yeah, yeah. Zap is just, like, constantly feeling, like, lesser and... Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> like, why make it a sex or gender... Yeah. Um, what is it called when species have different characteristics for male and female? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Hey, it's future Una again. The term we were looking for was sexual dimorphism, the condition where sexes of the same species exhibit different morphological characteristics, like how male deer have antlers but females don't. Alright, back to the podcast. So chapter 11 starts with the Shiners continuing to argue about everything, which annoys everyone, even Temp and Boots. Gregor asks if Shiners are always like this, and Merith says these two aren't as bad as some others he's met. Again, I need to know what are the stories, like what other Shiners has Merith met? Why are they all so horrible? Boots tries to make them be quiet by saying, Fofo too loud. Shh. Fofo. <laughs> he gets mad that she can't say his name and insists that he can't understand her. And Twitch Tip says, allow me to translate. She said if you don't stop your incessant babble, that big rat sitting in the boat next to you will rip your head off. Oh my god. So intense. This earns Twitch Tip Gregor's support immediately because the fireflies actually shut up after that. Merith and Howard steer the boats through the waves with sails made out of silk, and all the bats except Ares doze off in a clump together. Gregor asks Ares how long it'll take for them to get to the Bane, and he says at least five days. It'd be faster if they flew, but no bat has ever attempted to cross the whole waterway before. Gregor thinks Ares could do it because he's so strong, and Ares admits he's thought about trying. Gregor tells Ares about Charles Lindbergh, who made the first solo transatlantic flight in 1927. And I looked this up because I didn't actually know a whole lot about this guy. That flight from New York to Paris took him 33 and a half hours. Whoa! Can you imagine? I never even thought about that. Literally more than a day. And he had enough fuel to do that? That's crazy. Yeah. 
I never even thought about it taking longer. That makes so much sense because the technology is not what it's like now, but I just mm-hmm. always assumed like, wow, that's crazy. Now I want to see like how flights have, like the duration of plane flights have changed over time. I know, right? Like when did we get so fast? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I just think it would be absolutely terrible to be stuck in a plane by yourself for 33 hours. Yeah. That's claustrophobic. That's lonely. You have to be, like, so awake the whole time. You have to, like, eat and go like, to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom while Wait, you're how flying. Did he, how did he do that? <laughs> Literally, I don't want to know. <laughs> oh my God. Opens the window. <laughs> yeah, God. I have no idea. I don't know enough about planes to say. Yeah, I don't know anything about planes, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. If you know about planes, write in. (laughs) Gregor explains to Ares about planes and says, He was real famous. People were mad at him, too, because of something about a war. And then the narration says, There was a sad thing, too, about a baby, but he couldn't remember that exactly either. Do you know about this? No, I figured you would have looked it up and you would tell me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I actually did know about this part because it's kind of like a true crime thing. Um, The baby thing that Gregor is talking about is referring to Lindbergh's son being kidnapped out of his crib, held for ransom, and later found dead. What? I've never even heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Lindbergh's son was like... I think it said he was like 22 months old or something and some guy like kidnapped him and held him for ransom and they found him dead later. It's like super tragic. That's really sad. Yeah. Because I guess he must have been pretty wealthy to like own a plane and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think he was a soldier and that's why he got the plane. But I think he was kind of wealthy and famous at that point anyway, because that was in like the 30s after he did his historic flight. But then this case of, like, who kidnapped this baby was a huge thing. It was, like, sweeping the nation. And was it ever solved? Um, I think they did get a guy. I don't know the details. And then about the war. Yeah, so the thing about the war I'm a little unsure about. I don't get paid to research for this (laughs) podcast, so I kind of just skimmed this guy's Wikipedia page, and I definitely don't know enough about history to understand all of this but it seems like this guy charles Lindbergh, had a lot of opinions about world war ii um because he was in the military and he was this big military guy and just from what i read like he didn't support the nazis but he was kind of into eugenics and was like definitely racist so if anyone has more specific info about this guy i'd really love to learn more Because there's no way that Suzanne Collins mentioned him if he wasn't relevant to this series, which was written pretty soon after 9-11 and during the Iraq War and is definitely about interventionism, nationalism, racism, and a whole lot of other stuff that Lindbergh apparently had opinions about. So if anyone has any information about Lindbergh that is directly relevant to this book, I'd love to hear about it. Anyway... Gregor thinking about the Lindbergh baby makes him think about the part of the prophecy of Bane that talks about a baby dying, and he asks Ares if rats can swim. Ares says yes, but follows his train of thought and assures him that they can't get to Boots this far out in the waterway. Gregor asks Ares if he's ever killed a rat, and he says yes, with Henry holding the sword while he flew. Gregor asks what the best way to kill a rat is, and Ares lists the places most vulnerable to stabbing. 
Finally, Gregor asks if he can be on Ares when he kills the Bane, and he says, I will be there, if it is at all possible. Gregor says, sorry I got you into this mess, and Ares replies, you also freed me from one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this, this part is so much for so many reasons, because it directly foreshadows Ares' death where Gregor is riding Ares when they confront the Bane. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And it's like very far in advance, of course. And they think that this is going to happen in five days when they get to the Bane, but it actually happens pretty far in the future. Wow. And just Gregor being like, I'm sorry I got you into this. But like, Gregor, you, you are also in this mess. You are also brought into this mess by forces outside of yourself. Yeah, the whole thing is tragic. Mm -hmm. Everyone eats dinner and Merith hooks his boat to Howard's, explaining that they'll trade off sailing, but someone needs to keep watch with a Shiner on duty at all times. The Shiners start to bicker, but Twitch Tip threatens them into silence again. Specifically, throwing photos glow glow under the bus. Yes. Which I like. <laughs> yeah, he's the particular target of Twitch Tip's threats. Gregor volunteers to keep watch first because even though he's tired, he doesn't want to get woken up later after only an hour or two of sleep. This is smart. I always thought that he was pretty smart for this. <laughs> As a kid, I would be like, if I was on a quest, I'd be like, Gregor, I'd volunteer to go first. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> I mean, we'll see, like, how it goes for him. But right. <laughs> I think that's so smart. Like, I would also hate to be woken up after, like, only an hour or two of sleep. Yeah. I thought about these things a lot when I was a kid. Like, yep. if I ever have to go on a quest. <laughs> You'll be prepared. <laughs> I will be. Because I read, I read Gregor and I read Percy and I know everything to look out for. Yep. Including giant squids. Yep. <laughs> Everyone settles down to sleep and Gregor lays his arm on the side of the boat. Soon, the rocking of the boat makes him start to drift off. He thinks he feels Boots' hand on his wrist but then it squeezes him hard and his eyes fly open to see a slimy red tentacle curled around his forearm. Ah. Can you imagine just like, like startling awake and there's a fucking tentacle wrapped around your arm? Like, ugh. No, I don't like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Especially a huge one. Yeah, giant. And like, in the next scene, they're described, the tentacles, as just coming at them from all sides. Uh, Which biologically does not make sense. I know, right? There's a limited number of tentacles. Yeah. And they're cutting, spoiler, they're cutting them all off. Right. I was wondering if maybe there's multiple squids. I was also thinking that. Because when I was a kid, I always thought there was just one. And it seems like Gregor also thinks that there's just one. But then when it was describing all of the tentacles, like attacking all of the different people around the boat, I was like, maybe there's more. Yeah. Also, just the fact that they're in complete darkness, like they're in basically an ocean and it's completely dark except for this radius of light from Zap and Photos Glow Glow and the water is dark and they can't see into it and it's just the worst. Like the ocean terrifies the fuck out of me and just imagining like something coming up out of the dark water at you is like 
giving me shivers. Especially, like, this thing that, like, tries to pull you deep under. I know, right? Like, I don't know. I've played a lot of Subnautica. Oh my god, that- I literally can't play Subnautica. It freaks me out so much. It's so- it's my favorite game I ever. can't even watch people play it. It it literally scares me. I'm so it afraid of the ocean. It is really scary, but to me, like, the scariest thing is, like, drowning. Mm-hmm. And there isn't anything in Subnautica that pulls you down. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's one thing in the sequel that, like, freezes you and then you, like, fall yeah. slowly. And that's terrifying. Yeah. And the thought of, like, something grabbing you and fighting, like, doing tug of war to pull you down yes. is, like, so scary. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I feel like drowning isn't even my fear exactly. It's, like... I have a specific fear of sea monsters, basically, like giant underwater creatures just scare the shit out of me. Yeah, as you should, honestly. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Later when we get to the serpents in this book, I'll have a similar reaction to that. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Like, we don't really understand, like, so much about... Sorry, but no, we really good. don't understand so much about the ocean. Yeah, literally. <laughs> And there are giant squids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I see, like, in books or in museums, it'll have, like, a silhouette of a human person next to the silhouette of, like, a dinosaur or a megalodon shark or whatever. And I'll just be, like, staring at this little, like, human <laughs> silhouette, like, trying to imagine how big this creature is and, like, freaking myself out. Just, like, I forget, like, what museum it is. It might, I might be, like, the... Field, field museum in chicago but there's like a huge set of megalodon jaws that are just like stood up on the wall so you can see how big the the jaws of this shark would be and i just remember as a kid like sta- staring at it just like having an intense reaction oh like, my god something in my ape brain was just going nuts about it <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> Very fair. Like, none of us would do well against a megalodon shark. Yeah. Thank God they're they're gone. Yeah. (laughs) But not in the Underland, apparently. No. Apparently there's... Oh, do you think they have sharks? Dude, I bet they they do have sharks. Because if there were megalodons on Earth, they would definitely be, like, hundreds and thousands of feet under the Earth. They would be... In, like, huge-ass caves, right? Yeah, they would be in, like, underwater oceans like this. I mean, if they have giant serpents, like, that, they're basically dinosaurs. What else could they have? Ugh, I'm obsessed with this kind of thing. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested in it, too. I just can't think about sea creatures too much. <laughs> Dude, I, um, I, when I was in Mexico, I got to swim with whale sharks. <gasps> and it was probably the most terrified I've ever been. I would, I would never. Yeah, because basically, I'm already scared of the ocean and snorkeling. Like, I constantly feel like I can't breathe when I'm snorkeling. Yeah, no, I could not. And so, like, I would be, like, hyperventilating, looking down, and this gigantic mouth would be coming <laughs> no, towards no, no, me. No, 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 no. The thing that's, like, I guess comforting is that their throats are only, like, 10 inches wide, like, around. That doesn't help. (laughs) No, because I know. They would be like, oh, don't worry. Like, they can't swallow you. But my thought was, like, again, like, if you get caught in their mouth, like, what if they pull you down? It doesn't matter how big their throat is. It doesn't matter if they can swallow me. I just... (laughs) 
the mouth mean like yeah. directly underneath you is like oh my god it was terrifying oh my god it was really scary i could never do that i could never let anyone talk me into doing that i think i just agreed because i was like 12 <laughs> and like i my parents were like let's do this fun thing and i was like okay and then i was there and i was like oh no <laughs> That would traumatize me forever. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so glad you survived your encounter with the whale shark. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into chapter 12. After that freaking huge Huge tangent. Yeah, no, it's good. Gregor yells as the tentacle yanks him over the side of the boat. His boot catches on the edge, giving him enough time to call out to Ares, but a second yank from the squid pulls him under. I can't remember what he was wearing before he put on his boots, but, like, thank God for those boots. I know, right? They, they save him so many times Ugh. in these books. Ares grabs him by the feet and pulls him back up. Gregor manages to bite the tentacle and make it loosen its grip just as Ares pulls on him again and he is deposited safely back in the boat. Ares asks if he can fight and Gregor sees tentacles attacking the questers from all sides. So this is what made me think maybe there's multiple squids. I feel like canonically they are solitary creatures. (laughs) Canonically you mean in real life? Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, either way, it's not very realistic, but Mm -hmm. either way, it's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Either it's it's a giant squid with a billion tentacles or it's many squids. I don't like either possibility. No. It's like the question, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or Or (laughs) ten duck-sized horses? Yeah. God. (laughs) But with squids. Except... In that one, there's, like, one clear good choice in oh, my yeah? mind. And in this one, like, it's, would you rather fight one huge squid with a billion tentacles or several huge squids with just a normal amount of tentacles? Right, right. Like, they're still pretty big, even if they're, yeah. <laughs> we're going for the smaller choice, they're yeah. still large. Yeah. What would you pick for the ducks and horses? I mean... Duck-sized horses. I I would love to see a duck-sized horse, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'd be easier to fight. Yeah. You could just kick them around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Merith throws Gregor a sword, and he starts slicing through tentacles. When he sees one go for boots, the same feeling that he got when hitting the blood balls overtakes him, and everything except his targets gets fuzzy. He hacks away at the tentacles until Merith and Boots yell at him to stop, and the world comes back into focus. Severed tentacles flop around on the boat's floor, which is so gross, (laughs) and Gregor has four circular sucker marks swelling on his arm. Boots is crying that she wants to go home. She was splattered with squid slime, and Temp is missing two legs. No. Boots starts crying out, Mama! And Gregor notes that this is her, quote, ultimate cry of distress. It's so sad that he's like, I wonder what she's seen me do. Yeah, yeah. Gregor tries to comfort her, but he worries about, like, what she saw him do. And when she's, like, saying no hitting, like, obviously she saw him fighting. I always think it's, like, tragic when a child feels, like, guilt 
about the treatment of their younger sibling because like I don't know in my opinion like children shouldn't have to worry about that kind of thing it's the responsibility of their parents right and obviously his parents aren't here yeah so he Um, has to take charge yeah so rough Howard appears with a bucket of water and starts washing the slime off Boots while singing a little rhyme about washing her toes, and Boots begins to laugh. Howard tells Gregor about how he made up the song for his little sister, Chim, and Gregor realizes that Howard is actually way nicer than Stella Vett, and Gregor has been too hard on him. With Boots feeling better, Gregor asks if Temp needs any medical assistance, but the roach assures him that he'll grow new legs. (laughs) The fireflies are unharmed and enjoying a feast of squid tentacles. Calamari. Yes. Andromeda and Twitchtip have a couple sucker marks, but Gregor's injuries are starting to ooze pus. Ugh. (laughs) He says something about it maybe being poisoned before collapsing and blacking out. I love a dramatic collapse. Fade to black. Yes. He has a fever dream about fighting sea creatures in the water while his family reaches for him from the boat. Dream Temp pulls off his legs and offers them to Gregor. This is so scary, but also, like, I feel like he would do that. Yes! (laughs) He doesn't even think about it, really. He's like, I'll just grow more back. I'll just grow more. And, like, if for some reason they needed his legs, which is a scary thought, like... He would. I feel like he would. (laughs) Oh, Temp. Very in character of Gregor's fever dream. Yeah. When Gregor finally wakes up, he sees that his arm has been bandaged, and Luxa is smiling down at him. What? Yay, Luxa's (laughs) here. Thank God, honestly. They need her. Yes, God. That's how the chapter ends. What a, a way to start a quest. Just right out the gate. We got sea monsters... We got Gregor having his little rager episode, which we're going to learn about real soon from Twitch Tip. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. And of course, the fireflies, the stars of the whole book. Nay, the whole series, (laughs) if we're being honest. So true. So true. (laughs) That's a good set of chapters. Mm -hmm. I'm excited that Luke's is here now. Yeah, it's so funny because like when I read the chapter um, where she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't come with you. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? Like, because again, like I've mentioned every time, I cannot believe how much I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I was like, come on, this isn't even going to be fun without her. And then she shows up and I'm like, oh, makes sense. Like, yes. Of course, she's actually here. Yeah, I love how she puts on a show of, like, coming down to the docks in her gown and mm-hmm. being like, so long, yeah. questers, mm-hmm. I'll see you when you return, <laughs> knowing full well the whole time that she's about to, she's about to ride off with Aurora to join them. Yep. Love her. She's so devious. Yep. Bad girl. Mm-hmm. Bad girl rebel type. No manic pixie dream girls here. Yeah. And yeah. thank God for that. I know, right? <laughs> God, I love Luxa. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Lily. Thank you for having me. Next week's episode is going to cover chapters 13 and 14. Don't forget to follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at Return to Regalia. If you have questions, theories, or other things that we missed, send them to us at returntoregalia at gmail.com or put them in the comments of this episode. Thank you for listening, and until next time, fly you high.